Hello and welcome into Airing It Out, a Penn State podcast brought to you by the Center Daily Times. I'm your host, John Sauber, and I'm joined, as always, by Josh Boyer. Josh, how's it going? Uh, going pretty well, John. It's, it's good to be back. Uh, you know, just a, a quick announcement. We'll be, we'll be doing this every week. Uh, we missed the last two weeks because I had a family emergency, but everything's fine now. We're back and, and look forward to kicking it off here again. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be back, too. You know, it's always fun uh, getting in these discussions, get to inject our opinion into some things that I think are, are, are pretty important on the Penn State landscape. And, and we'll start with what I'm sure is the, the thing on the forefront of everyone's mind here with Penn State, and that's the, the pending lawsuit. Uh, Isaiah Humphreys, for those who don't know, and those are living under a rock, uh, you know, has filed a lawsuit against James Franklin and Damian Barber, alleging uh, that, that hazing took place when he was at Penn State and that he was hazed by teammates. Several Penn State players were named, uh, Yitor Grosmatos, Micah Parsons and Jesse Lucetta, along with Damian Barber. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts on, on where this stands now and, and what do you think it means for Penn State and, you know, the, just sort of the, the reaction, I guess, to this lawsuit? And, and again, as of now, they are all allegations. We don't know whether or not they are true. Yeah, I mean, again, that, that's something that I was going to stress. I mean, it's, it's within 48 hours of the allegations first surfacing or, or maybe not surfacing, but, you know, I should say the lawsuit being filed. So, you know, there's a, still a lot we do not know. What we do know, um, obviously, is that Isaiah Humphreys is alleging that uh, hazing took place. Um, he named Damian Barber, the defensive lineman, as a defendant. Um, others he accused but is not suing include uh, Micah Parsons, Jesse Lucetta, which, interestingly enough, was also a freshman, um, I believe, uh, when Humphreys was. And uh, there's one more name. Help me out here, John. Uh, there's someone uh, else who was involved. It was Gross Matos, Lucetta, Parsons, uh, that's Damian Barber. Gross Matos, Gross Matos. So, so yeah, at, at this point, um, Penn State apparently, you know, investigated it. No charges were filed by the DA. Um, you know, they felt no wrongdoing took place. But you have one side and Isaiah Humphreys who says, you know, hey, well, the, the team's just trying to keep it quiet because they know it looks bad and this actually happened. And, hey, my dad talked to James Franklin too and you know James Franklin didn't want to hear it and on the other side you had uh, close to a dozen players uh, just the other day saying this is an outright lie I was there this never happened Isaiah Humphreys is a troublemaker uh, you know Ryan Bates the former offensive lineman I thought was pretty forceful in, in his denial so uh, you know there, there's, there's a lot of play right here and you know at this point you know we're still trying to get all the facts and you know, certainly people who don't like Penn State are saying that, uh, you know, hey, you know, this is just one more feather in the cap of, of a, a culture that, that, that that's just was never fixed in the first place. And, you know, Penn State fans saying, you know, hey, nothing happened here. There were several investigations. Nothing was found. And, you know, this is just jumping to, you know, an opinion without a, a, a foundational basis on facts. And, you know, it's just at this point kind of he said, she said. So the one thing that is real here um, is the fact that even if these allegations are 100% false, this still doesn't look good for Penn State. I mean, recruiting wise, you know, even if you think there's a 5% chance this happened, if you're a parent, I can't imagine, you know, you wanting to, to really, you know, push your, your son or daughter here when they have offers to, you know, Ohio State, Alabama, etc. And now, you know, certainly that shouldn't be at the forefront of everyone's mind is, is how this is going to impact recruiting. But 
I mean, there's certainly a ripple effect when something like this becomes national news and it's plastered on ESPN.com and you have people from California to New York, you know, reading about, you know, what was really some graphic allegations. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And, and I think this is where, you know, James Franklin has, has a chance to, you know, sort of uh, vindicate himself in a way with, with recruits parents, because it's going to get brought up. You're right. You know, they're, they're going to ask him about it. They're going to want uh, questions answered. And, and this is his chance to prove that they can trust him. Uh, you know, he's got to reach out to all those kids and all those parents. And if it's not true, he's got to be honest with them, you know, and he's, he's, he's got to be forceful and say that, you know, he wouldn't let this happen. Uh, you know, I'm sure that he will handle it as he sees appropriately uh, with as, with regards to recruiting. But we also know that every other school that they recruit against will use this against Penn State. Uh, that's how recruiting goes. Uh, there will be a lot of negative recruiting. Uh, all coaches engage in it. If they say they don't, they're lying to you. Uh, they they will basically insinuate that that players should not go to Penn State because of things like this. They will, you know, they will say, like you said, that it's a cultural issue, which I would you know, uh, fight back with against that. Yes, it is a cultural issue, but it's a cultural issue of college football in general. It is not a Penn State issue. Uh, we see this uh, across campuses across the country. You know, uh, maybe some schools just don't have it as outwardly public, but we know there are se severe cultural issues at almost every single campus on the country, in the country that plays major Division One college football. Uh, it's the nature of the sport. It needs fixed. It's, it's not good. Uh, but, but that's a, you know, that's a, basically a, a transgression for another day that I can, I can uh, talk about if people want uh, you to. Know, I, I'm with you there. I mean, I've said since the Sandusky thing, I don't think the difference and why Sandusky happened was because Penn State was inherently that much worse than every other college. I think the difference is college football has a culture problem. America has a culture problem. And the only difference between Penn State and say, you know, Notre Dame was the fact that Penn State had a monster in its midst. I mean, you put, I mean, honestly, if this is if it's a different college campus, I mean, certainly we've uh, unfortunately seen, you know, Nasser at Michigan State, and we've seen this play out now at other college campuses across the country. And you'd certainly hope, you know, in this age where we've seen, you know, this happen repeatedly, that we've lived through the, you know, uh, or are living in, you know, the, the Me Too movement that, you know, we've seen, you know, people in power come down that, you know, that, that, that hazing is not something that should be going on anymore. I just, I just don't understand how, I, I guess something like this, it, it still kind of stuns my mind that in, in this age now, this is still something we've got to be talking about on a podcast. You know, yeah. it just, I don't know. Maybe it's time for reflection for another day, Sober, but this, I don't know. It, it's just, it's still surreal to me. No, it, it is to me too, uh, you know, that, that this is even a, a topic of conversation. Uh, but Again, it's it's an inherent culture, and you, you have to wonder if it's just an inherent culture within the sport, which I think there's reason to believe that as well. Uh, but, you know, I, also, though, I, I want to be clear. I generally think most football players and most people are are good. I don't think most players are doing this. But there, when you have a roster of 120 players, no matter what campus you're on, you're bound to have one or two people that aren't, you know, desirable human beings, and, and things can happen. Uh, you know, I'm not going to inject my opinion on whether or not this happened. It's like you said, it's far too early to, to say anything. Uh, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you're right. It's a it's a black eye for Penn State. And it's a you know, if it's if it's not true, it's a shame, you know, that, that it happened to, you know, you know uh, to be this much of an issue. If it is true, it's a shame that it that it happened. Uh, you know, there's there's no real way to know right now. We're too early on in the process to make any sort of judgments. 
uh, and it, it wouldn't be fair to either party to sort of make an assertion as to whether whether or not anything happened. But you know, you you mentioned the Twitter reactions. I think the most interesting one came from Corey Bolds, who's no longer in Penn State, yeah. campus, no longer on the roster, and transferred away from Penn State, who basically denied what Comfrey said. Uh, you know, it, I I think it 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 says you know it, it it could go either way with with that sort of denial. You know, maybe this is. Uh, players are, are sort of just banding together to suppress someone or it could be players banding together because they're frustrated and angry that someone would sort of make these things up about someone. But I think it's interesting nonetheless that, that someone from sort of outside of the program currently uh, injected their opinion into what was happening and, and to, to this basically this, this lawsuit as, as things stand. Yeah, I guess what I'm curious as to as far as what happens next is, uh, you know, Isaiah Humphreys left the university 12 months ago uh Humphrey's lawyer uh Marino who is also the lawyer behind the the Lynch case the athletic trainer from Penn State who's also suing James Franklin and the university um it's interesting to me that he he talked to multiple outlets the other day including the athletic and his quote was you know this didn't just happen to Isaiah this happened to to other and he used the term boys um but this happened to other you know players as well and you know I I I feel like for this to, to, to really gain steam and maybe for me to, to change my opinion, um, you know, or to actually form one uh, would be, you know, having more players like Isaiah Humphreys coming forward. I mean, you could have 40 players come out on Twitter and say this never happened, but if you would have four players come up and say this did happen, that I think would change a lot of minds. That's hard to ignore. One player, you know, hey, maybe you can say there was an axe to grind. Two, you know, uh, we're already starting to get to that point. You know, three or more, I feel like that's, you know, th th that's when it starts to get, um, you know, a little bit more interesting. So, you know, uh, you wonder if, you know, is that the next step? You know, if you had 12 months to get this case together, you know, is, is that in the cards in the near future? I know that's something we'll certainly be keeping an eye on and you know, at this point, it's just Humphreys, you know, making those allegations and, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But like you said, you know, we're early in the process. The lawsuit was just filed, I believe, on Monday. I think it may have been dated. Uh, yeah, I think it was dated Monday and we just learned about it Tuesday. All these days run together. But, yes, they do. <laughs> but, but that's where we are right now. And uh, yeah, you know, certainly... Uh, uh, no news is good news for Penn State off seasons. Unfortunately, that's not this off season. Yeah, and you know we we are in the off season here, and we'll, we'll switch up gears a little bit to the, the actual on field product in football. But this is something we're going to be monitoring. You know, as long as it's a story, uh, you know, as long as it has the the attention of, of the general public, as long as it's of the public interest, it's something we'll continue to talk about. But for now, you know, let's. Uh, let's let's move on to something else, and that's sort of the end of the Penn State football season. We we haven't really conversed since they they ended their season. Uh, they're finished in the top ten of the AP pool for the third time in four years. And yes, the AP pool doesn't really matter as far as the season result, but I think it's indicative of where a program's at. You know what? What did you think about their not necessarily just their Cotton Bowl performance, but how this year ended for them, and and you know what it means for the program moving forward. Well, I don't mean to build up a straw man argument in the beginning here, but, you know, I was just really surprised by how many people seemed disappointed at a Cotton Bowl berth. You know, uh, you know I think we talked about it the last time we, we did have a podcast, and I think, I, I don't know what people's expectations were this season, but overwhelmingly among, you know, the media, reporters, and those of us who have been around this team for a long time, 
you know, a lot of us thought eight or nine wins. You know, I don't think anyone expected a 10 and two regular season record um, and, you know, a, a New Year's six bowl berth. And, you know, then they went ahead and, and, and won that too. And a, a top 10 ranking to boot after losing what, what some people believe, you know, Trace McSorley is, he's either the best Penn State quarterback of all time or one of the top three, you know, it's, it's McSorley, Kerry Collins, and Todd Blackledge. You know, I think most everyone can agree about that. When you lose a player of that caliber and, you know, you, you, you have, you know, new guys at key positions, and despite all that, you still succeed like they did. And, again, they were alive for the national championship, uh, the college football playoff until the very end. You know, that's a great season. You know, I mean, people say that I'm negative, and, and – I would say I'm a negative person. I'm not a very positive person, but I still can't see how you can possibly label this, you know, a bad year, an underwhelming year. They exceeded expectations. Give James Franklin that raise. I mean, this is a team that, you know, they are built for this 2020 season and fans should be excited. And if you're not, something's wrong with you. Yeah, I I agree. I I think this was a, a highly successful season for Penn State, especially when you consider their quarterback play was subpar for a good portion of the year. I mean, they, they, there's no way around it. They, they, they didn't have uh, the anywhere near the Trace McSorley-level performance from the, the position this season. Uh, and, and Sean Clifford struggled for extended stretches, extended stretches, excuse me. And yet, here they are, 11-2, and 3-2 against teams that finished ranked in the top 25 of the AP pool uh, with that, that third win coming in the Cotton Bowl. Uh, and I, I've, saw, I've seen keep people complain about the – fact that they gave up 39 points to Memphis. Memphis had one of the top 10 offenses of the country this year. Holding them to 39 should be, uh, you know, a feather in the cap for this team. That is that is a dynamic offense with one of the most dynamic uh, wide receivers in the country and a, a, a fantastic quarterback who will be coming back next year in Brady White. There is no shame in giving up 39 points to that team. Uh, you know, they should be more proud that they put up 53 and ended up earning the win in that game. Well, well, the one thing I will say to that, uh, you know, 39 points, still not great. Uh, I, you yeah, know, I don't no, care how good their offense is. But, but no, no, no. My, my, my point is just they should be ashamed of the way the past defense has been the last couple of weeks because I think if you factor in maybe from the Minnesota game on, uh, it, it, Penn State gave up an average of 315 passing yards per, per game, which if, if you average that out to the whole season, if, if – what they allowed the last four or five weeks, they, they allowed over the course of the season, they would have ranked 129th out of 130 FBS teams. Their pass defense toward the end, and again, I know we, we've talked about it before, you know, it's not just the secondary, a lot of it is, you know, not necessarily getting the pass rush, uh, you know, going, but, but that's, that's pretty inexcusable. You can't, I mean... Tanner Morgan, I, I think it was just announced today, earlier today, yeah. what was the best singular passing performance of the season, and that was the game that was picked. Tanner Morgan's performance against Penn State when he completed 90% of his passes. Once again, that was the worst rate Penn State's defense allowed this century outside of uh, Army going like one for one. If you count that, that's 100%. <laughs> so worst or second worst. But so I do think, you know, that's a cause for concern, certainly next year. And, you know, I understand maybe, you know, Brent Price philosophy doesn't exactly match up well with having an amazing pass defense. But, I mean, goodness gracious, John, like that that is the Achilles heel of this team right now. Yeah, and, and I think the, the bigger issue lies with the pass rush, too. Uh, they weren't getting pressure near the end of the year like they needed to. Uh, you know, we haven't seen yet if Shaka Tony's coming back. Uh, he has yet to announce he is 
if today's Wednesday, January 15th, he has five days to announce his decision or to declare for the draft, I guess, um, if he were to do that. But I think you could see some improvement there with, you know, uh, guys like Jason Owe and Adisa Isaac getting more reps, getting more snaps next year. Guys that are basically pass rush specialists and, and can just attack the quarterback and get there. Um, at the end of the day, if you give any quarterback, you know, four or five seconds to throw the ball, they have a good chance to complete it. And in the team's defense against Minnesota, Tanner Morgan threw some passes that I don't think anyone's ever seen him throw before in that game. Uh, he dropped some absolute dimes that, that they weren't going to be able to defend no matter what. Uh, you know, it was it was a wildly impressive performance. But you're right, the coverage wasn't good. They need to be better. The the, the defensive backs need to improve. Uh, it'll be interesting to see next year what happens and who starts across from Tariq Castro Field. Uh, the potential return of Donovan Johnson's looming, which could be, you know, helpful for the team. Keaton Ellis will be in the system a year longer. A guy like Marquise Wilson should be getting more playing time. And he was really good when he saw time at, at corner next year. Uh, of course, you know, we don't know what's happening with Lamont Wade yet either. Uh, he, like Tony, has five days if he plans on announcing uh, that he's going to enter the draft. Uh, Garrett Taylor obviously departing. So there could be one, potentially two new safeties back there next year. Uh, so there could be some turnover there. It'll be, you know, it's something to watch for. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, I just think at the end of the day, if you can rush the passer and if you can get to the quarterback and not give them time to think, uh, you can disrupt a lot of that passing game rhythm and, and sort of make them see ghosts as Sam Darnold did on that Monday night football game and, and, and make it difficult for him to, you know, get comfortable in the pocket and make it difficult to make some of those throws that Morgan ended up doing in that, that Minnesota game. Yeah, I'd just like to see, you know, if someone does a quick three-step drop and, you know, quick slants to Penn, you know, against Penn State, how does Penn State counter? I mean, we've seen that, you know, a lot this past season where, yeah, I mean, Penn State usually has this great pass rush. So, you know, if the, the quarterback gets rid of the ball right away, you know, how does Penn State counter? And, you know, it just seems to me like they're, I don't know, uh, <laughs> hasn't gone as well when that's been the uh, the offensive game plan. But, yeah, regarding Lamont Wade, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting with them. I, I can't remember a season, John, where we we haven't had players kind of declare one way or the other. You know, we still don't know. It's, it's January 15th. We still don't know if Shaka Tony or Lamont Wade, you know, are declaring for the NFL draft. And, you know, it's interesting, again, at this point, it's speculation. Let, let me preface this by speculation. But, um, you know, we, we look up Lamont Wade and Shaka Tony, and I know you did it, um, you know, as well. You look them up in Penn State Student Directory. Um, and I don't know if it was always like this, but Lamont Wade, you know, he has an interesting little kind of note on his uh, student directory where, you know, he's, he's labeled as a camp, camp counselor. And if you look at his Instagram, he has, you know, photos from his hometown which makes me think maybe he's not on campus you know this week which would kind of be an interesting development um but yeah either way i i think penn state's going to be fine at those positions um you know defensive end we certainly know that they have an embarrassment of riches i mean you know you talked about oway and isaac and you know we didn't even mention shane simmons who's been uh you know a little injury bitten um but there's a lot of talent back there um, you know, and certainly, you know, secondary as well, there are players who can step up. So, you know, it'll be interesting. I think that the, the biggest impact, obviously, and, and we talked about it before the show is, is KJ Hamler. Yeah, that, that's for sure. Uh, his, his departure, you know, is going to have a, a massive impact on this team. Uh, you know, moving forward, uh, he, of course, declared for the NFL draft, decided he won't, you know, uh, play out his final two years of eligibility at Penn State. Uh, so, you know, they're going to be out without their number one receiving option next year. Do you see anyone in particular that you think could step up uh, and could improve uh, the, the Penn State passing corps? Because right now it's – or receiving corps, excuse me. Because right now it's it's looking a little bit barren right now. 
you know, I was going to say, well, I mean, outside of Jahan Dodson, uh, you know, he's a guy who was the, the, the number two uh, uh, receiving option when it comes to receivers, at least. And certainly Pat Fryermuth was, was probably the, uh, the true number two target. Um, but yeah, I mean, Dodson, I guess, is going to have to ascend to that number one role. And, um, you know, for me, the, the two true freshmen I'm looking for is Parker Washington and, uh, you know, Keandre Lambert. You know, those are two guys who can, um, you know, certainly have the ability and the potential to contribute immediately. And, and Lambert, you know, he's already on campus. You know, he's a guy who's going to be more familiar with the playbook. And he is the nephew, I believe, of former Seattle Seahawks safety camp chancellor. So, you know, he's got it in his genes. Um, you know, he's made some incredible one-handed catches. Penn State could certainly use receivers who can catch, which sounds simple enough, but uh, hasn't been uh, the last couple of years. Um, but I- I'm really curious to see, is it possible that, that, that Pat Fryermuth could come away with the most catches and, and the most targets, you know, this upcoming season? I mean, he is that – he – he might be the best tight end, you know, in the country. You know, when it comes to Pat Firemuth and every other receiving option for Penn State, there is a wide gulf there. So, yeah. so honestly, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how that works out. But, you know, I think it's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, I, I do too. I think there's two guys on campus right now that I'm looking at. You mentioned Washington and Lambert. I think those are both two guys that, that we should be watching that are newcomers. Lambert needs to add a little bit of weight. We'll see if he can get there in time, uh, you know, for the fall uh Washington ready to go as soon as he gets on campus basically um but the two guys on campus I'm watching are John Dunmore uh the wide receiver who was a freshman this year redshirted will be a redshirt freshman next year at wideout uh excellent route runner doesn't have elite speed but sort of you know comparable to Jahan Dotson in that sense and Dotson can play on the outside so it'll be interesting to see if maybe we see a little bit of more of Dunmore in the slot with Dotson on the outside alongside the other guy that I'm watching and that's Daniel George who struggled with drops this year yes uh, but he's shown he has the big playability. He has the speed. He has the strength. He has the the ability to pick up the yak after you know uh, he gets a reception and, and get those yardage. That yardage, excuse me, that that Hamler had last year. Uh, he just got to catch the ball. And like you said, that's been an issue for Penn State uh, in the past, uh, more so than you want it to be. Uh, but we've seen a, another change, of course, at the wide receiver coach position too. And you know, I'll use this chance to segue into these many coaching changes that I don't think we were expecting uh, before the season ended. I know I wasn't. Uh, we had speculated before about offensive coordinator after uh, Ricky Ronnie left, but we'll touch on Jared Parker first since this is a, the current opening on the staff. Uh, you know, Jared Parker left uh, as the wide receivers coach and passing game coordinator to take the offensive coordinator position at West Virginia under uh, Neil Brown there. Uh, I don't believe he's going to be calling plays, but it is a step up in, in um, his, his title at the very least, so it could put him more in line to become a head coach. Uh, what do you think about Parker's departure and, and what do you think it means for this, this room that continues to have a revolving door as to who's leading it? Uh, I, I was a little bit surprised by uh, Jared Parker's departure, although I guess I shouldn't be. Um, you know, he, he had a you know, DUI before Penn State had gone to him and that kind of knocked down his stock a little bit. I think he had just taken a job elsewhere um, and then had to you know, leave that post. So you know, by, by doing that, it just kind of set him back for a year, it seemed, and Penn State was the perfect landing spot for him. Now, I don't know how much of a hit this is to Penn State, just because I don't think we really got a great idea of what he was able to bring to Penn State. And, and by that, I mean, uh, you know, look what he had to work with. I mean, K.J. Hamler is K.J. Hamler. I mean, he was great before Parker came in. He was great when, when Parker was here. I mean, Dodson, you know, kind of asserted himself when he was – 
um, you know, before Parker had, had come in and, and certainly made strides. But, you know, it, it, you look at other things like, I mean, Chisena, uh, you know, they were hoping would be a deep threat. And he, I think he, he might have ended up with, with more deep drops than he did deep catches. And certainly Justin Shorter, um, who has all the potential in the world, wasn't a success either. So, I mean, it's a lot easier, you know, when you're talking about someone like Matt Limegrover because we had more of a sample size. So with Parker, I don't know how much of a hit that really is to Penn State. Now, certainly what's not good for Penn State is this will be their fourth receivers coach in four years. You know, you'd like to have a little bit more continuity than that, or okay, a whole lot more continuity than that. But, you know, whoever comes in is going to have a lot of young receivers to work with. You mentioned Dunmore before. I remember talking to uh, rivals analyst uh, Ryan Snyder about Dunmore before he got on campus, and he raved about him and thought that he would be able, um, you know, to to really contribute to Penn State in his, his second year with the program. So, I mean, you know, I, there's a lot of talent here. Whoever they bring in, isn't going to have an empty cupboard to, to work with. But, you know, as far as how much this helps or hurts Penn State, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you. I don't think we really won't know the ramifications. Uh, you know, it, it won't hurt recruiting, at least in the short term, because those five wideouts they signed in this class are already signed and, you know, don't seem to be wavering on, on their, you know, signature that they gave to Penn State on the national letter of intent. Uh, I, I do think it'll be interesting to see what kind of uh, target they go after as a potential replacement. Uh, I would assume this is a spot you want to have an elite recruiter and, you know, uh, you want a good coach too, obviously, but this is a spot where you want to recruit the best athletes you can at wide receiver. You want the best wide receivers in the country uh, coming into your program. Uh, you know, I don't have any names that, that Penn State has talked to or looked at. I don't think anybody does at this point in time. Of course, James Franklin likely getting back today or yesterday from the coaches convention that ran from January 12th to 14th, uh, which is usually a fantastic networking event for all of these coaches across the country. It gives, gives them a chance to conduct interviews, to talk to guys and sort of gauge interest in their position. Uh, the one guy that I'm interested in, if I'm Penn State, and, and again, this is me speculating, there's no information uh, beyond, uh, you know, just me knowing he's a good wide receivers coach. That's Jamarcus Shepard at Purdue. Uh, he did a fantastic job in helping them land David Bell, who was, you know, a guy that Penn State wanted. Uh, and Shepard and Purdue helped beat them out for him. Uh, and he did a great job of coaching Shepard this year. Of course, coach, coach Rondale Moore as well uh, and helped land him. But that's a guy at Purdue. You've seen the success. It's a good step up for him. He's still young. He's in a position, you know, where he's, he's I don't want to say he's probably looking for a step up because he's been at Purdue since 2016. But this would be a nice little step up for him if he were to make that decision uh, and Penn State were interested in him. But that's sort of the, the name that I would be targeting, or at least someone in that mode of a, a good young coach who, who has experience improving guys and experience uh, recruiting some of the best in the country. And, and who better than a guy who literally beat you out for one of your top targets in the, the 2018 class, the 2019 class, excuse me. I was, you know, I feel like I've said I don't know too many times in this <laughs> podcast, John Sauber. So, uh, you know, let, let me share a hot take. Uh, and, uh, you know, since we're talking about, uh, you know, we're talking about receiver a little bit, uh, just with KJ Hamler, I, I, I just kind of want to circle back to him because, um, you know, we didn't really weigh in on whether or not this was a good decision for KJ Hamler. So let, 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 let me do that here because I think it was actually – uh, the more I thought about it, I went back and forth both ways. I think in the end, this is a, this is a great decision for, for KJ Hamler. And I know a lot of people are going to disagree with that, but you know, I think it is for two reasons. One, he's not very big. This is a great draft class for wide receiver. Um, he's not very big. 
you know, he's had injuries before. Hey, get the money while you can. You know, if, if, if he would have gone back to college, if he would have had, uh, you know, a slightly better season this year, but, you know, he suffers another concussion or, you know, he has a leg injury, the, the stock's going down. Uh, so, you know, I, I understand his decision to leave. It's certainly not what's best for Penn State and, you know, kind of gives them, you know, puts them in the position they're currently in. And, and if he would have come back, I mean, you know, my goodness, uh, Penn State certainly would have been the dark horse to win the Big Ten. But, yeah, uh, him not being here is, is going to speed up probably the, the, the progress and development of a few other receiver prospects. So, I mean, it, it's funny. I feel like uh, you could kind of pull a name out of a hat to see uh, who's going to finish Penn State 1-2-3 in receiving this year. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's interesting, uh, you, you know, you mentioned our thoughts on his decision. I'm with you. I think it was the best decision he could make. Uh, people keep pointing to how deep this class is. Next year's class is just as deep, and the year after that is just as deep. This is just where wide receiver is right now. Uh, there's a ton of talent across the country. Guys are, are super talented and going to be entering the draft early, so may as well get there before you have too much mileage on your body. Like you said, he's had injury issues in the past. Uh, he's a smaller guy, slight of frame. He, he may not have as long of a career because of that if he doesn't put on some weight. So so go get the money now. I will never, you know, uh, discredit someone for, for that. Uh, it, it's the decision that he thought was best. And I, I think Penn State fans should support him in that. And and honestly, it's a, it's a good look in the end for James Franklin to have another guy highly drafted. It's something you can point to that, hey, even with all this wide receiver turnover, we're still churning out these guys who can, you know, make a big impact in the NFL. Uh, and, and I think Dambler has a chance to be an excellent NFL player. Uh, you know, as, as far as what this offense is next year, and you're right, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's in a weird spot. It's losing its top option at wide receiver, uh, and it's lo- it lost its offensive coordinator. Uh, and, and that brings us to Kirk Shiraka, someone that we both speculated could be a, an interesting uh, addition to the staff. And someone hey, that speculated think- right, John Sauber. That is right. And that, is, that was not reckless speculation, of course. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, was, uh, it, it was, you know, a, a guy that, that was easily in the crosshairs for, for a team that just sort of needs better quarterback play. Uh, and he, who better than the guy who turned Tanner Morgan into the guy who had the best passing performance of, you know, the 2019 season this year uh, or last year, excuse me. Uh, but yeah, I, I think the Shiraka hire was a great one. What, what do you think about, you know, the decision Penn State made? Cause we, we haven't had a chance to discuss this yet. Yeah. You know, uh, I think when we, when we kind of speculated who it would be, and, and it wasn't just us, Shiraka was on everybody who made a list of, Hey, here, here are five candidates who Penn State should go after or who, or who they will go after. He was on every conceivable list. Uh, James Franklin already has a relationship with him. He's a Pennsylvania guy, and he's clearly very, very good. So, I mean, I think Matt Brown from The Athletic kind of said it best. He's like, this is, this is probably the best coordinator Penn State could have realistically gotten. I think Joe Brady was atop every fan's wish list. He's going to be 30 years old now as the offensive coordinator of the Carolina Panthers. So, that was never going to happen. Well, and, um, and, and as we found out too, he had a memorandum of understanding with, or memorandum, uh, forget the exact, an MOA, whatever it's called, uh, with, with LSU basically saying that he couldn't take an, or prohibiting him from taking another college job, but it allowed him to take an NFL job. And he apparently had signed that earlier this season. So it was never really an option for him to, to be on Penn State's radar. Uh, I got you. See, I thought maybe that had come, you know, later in the season, but regardless, you know, uh, if you couldn't get Joe Brady, uh, which they couldn't, Shiraka seemed to be the way to go. And it was kind of funny. Uh, uh, you know, we had found out about it, uh, you know, during the Cotton Bowl. Um, and I was down there in, in Texas and was able to ask the players, you know, about Shiraka. And, um, you know, a number of the defensive players just kind of look at you and like, 
you saw what they what Minnesota did to us earlier this year, right? Like we like the move. So, you know, it was kind of funny, uh, you know, obviously uh, Minnesota's two receivers uh, just just tore up Penn State secondary. Um, anywhere you look with what Kirk Shiraka has done has been impressive. I mean, uh, P.J. Fleck, he, he's been with since Western Michigan. Uh, with Western Michigan, I can't remember all the offensive stats, but I think they were the highest scoring team in, in team history. And except then for the next year, uh, they broke the records again. At Minnesota this year, it was their first 10-win season since 1905. And I, I want to say it was their highest scoring offense and second most passing yards in school history. Everywhere Kirk Sharaka goes, he has success and he does a lot with a little. Um, you know, I mean, this is a guy that I, I think is kind of similar to Joe Moorhead, not, nece- not necessarily in philosophy, but in the fact that you know, he, he, he's not working at an SEC program right off the bat, but that's probably where his future is. You know, this guy has the potential to, you know, go on to, to bigger and better things. Um, but being a Pennsylvania guy, this is something he couldn't pass up. And I think he's going to fit in with this, this offense really, really well. James Franklin said that he wanted somebody who could come in and not redesign everything, that he could build on what they have and make sure the transition is an easy and a simple one for players who are already on the roster and Kurt Shiraka, uh, you know, plans to do that. So I think, I think this is a great get for Penn state and I think it's only going to help them moving forward. If anything, I think Ricky Ronnie's decision to leave to old dominion is kind of addition uh, uh, by subtraction for, for Penn state. Yeah. Uh, I don't disagree with you on that. I think the interesting thing with Shiraka is that he's going to be, I believe 55 in August, uh, which, you know, puts him as a little bit older uh, for a, a coach and, you know, you wonder if maybe that leads to him being at Penn State a little bit longer. Uh, maybe he doesn't have the the profile that a lot of the SEC-type programs are looking for. And a younger guy, of course, Moorhead isn't, you know, there wasn't 35 when, when he got hired at Mississippi State. Uh, but, you know, you wonder if that played a little bit of a role here. And I, I think it was a smart decision regardless of whether it did uh, or it didn't. Sharaka, uh, like you said, was the best reasonable candidate Penn State could have gotten. I think what's going to be interesting is to watch his usage of tight ends. He was notorious for not utilizing the tight end in the passing game when he was at Minnesota. So I wonder if we'll see more of Pat Frymuth and Zach Koontz out in the slot working as wide, basically wide receivers, uh, you know, coming out in 12 personnel, but with, a, with one tight end attached and one essentially in the slot. And if that's how he gets those guys' receptions, uh, I think it would be an excellent idea. It would allow, you know, Sharaka uh, not to sort of change his system up too much. It would allow him to – to, you know, align guys how he wants to. And it also gets Frymuth and, and Koontz the ball as much as I want to get it to them. Uh, I'm interested to see, though, how that plays out because because as I'm sure everyone has already noted, Sharaka doesn't use the tight end and everyone sort of speculated on Frymuth because of that. I, I think that's going to be their best avenue to getting him the ball. And it could be the best avenue to sort of curing some of the wide receiver uh, issues because then you just have to have, you know, one wide receiver on the outside on each side, none in the slot with, with Frymuth essentially operating as your slot receiver. Yeah, well, I mean, at Minnesota, he also did not have a Pat Fryermuth, uh, which could be why the, you know, wasn't wasn't utilized as much. But hey, Pete Carroll thinks fifty five is plenty young, you know. Uh, so, so, so Sharaka, you know, I'm sure he'll have a long career, but no, we'll uh, no, we'll see. But but I, I think any way you look at it, I don't think I've seen uh, another reporter or analyst or expert or you know what have you who has said it's a bad hire. Have you? I mean, I, I have not seen anything negative about this guy. I think it's o- been overwhelmingly like, 
Uh, the, the guys, the guy has to have like a 99% approval from, from people in the know. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I've seen the same, uh, you know, it's been called a home run hire by everyone I've, I've seen. And, and, you know, I, I tend to agree. I, I don't think there was, there was anything realistic they could have done to, to do better than this and, and good for James Franklin, uh, another excellent hire that he's made. Uh, you know, he's, he's had some, some stinkers in the past with specifically with David Corley, but you know, there, there, there have been some other excellent hires that he's made and this definitely qualifies as one of them. Uh, but of course it isn't the only hire he's had to make this off season. Uh, he's made two so far with the impending wide receiver hire that we're sort of just waiting to happen. The other one, of course, we reported first that, that Matt Limegrover and Penn state were parting ways, uh, as you know, he was the offensive line coach slash run game coordinator. Essentially, the, the run game coordinator comes into play only in game planning. He's it's basically you add a title to someone to help them get a raise and make it you know easier to get that raise for them. But Lime Grover, of course, was primarily the offensive line coach the last few years at Penn State. Uh, came on board when Joe Moorhead did. This is sort of just a chance for Penn State to to I think move in a new direction with a new offensive coordinator, which I think is a is a good idea and. And the guy they hire, Phil Troutwine, uh, appears to be an excellent hire. You know, what, what are your thoughts on Troutwine and the decision to move on from Line Grover? Yeah, honestly, I, I have to admit, you know, a month ago, I did not know who Phil Troutwine was. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, no, when you read a little bit about him, um, you know, you talk to the people who know him and you look at his track record. Um, you know, I think this is this is another solid hire by, by James Franklin. I really do. Um, if you look at Boston College this past season, um, on Football Outsiders, you know, who, who they do a little bit of the analytics. Uh, you know, he had a top 30 offensive line and you know, they had a top 10, you know, rushing attack at Boston College. And if you look, I want to say it was um, tackles for loss allowed. I want to say their rate was one of the top five in the nation, according to Football Outsiders, um, in terms of, of limiting uh, those stuffs. Uh, they weren't quite as good in, in pass protection, but you know, this was a team that, you know, really made it, uh, you know, really made it work by, by running the ball repeatedly. And there's one thing we saw about Penn State against Memphis. Running the ball is probably going to be pretty important, you know, moving forward. So, you know, that being said, I, I, I think, you know, again, this is a great fit. And, you know, the, the Penn State offense, you know, is going to have some new faces. And, and Sean Clifford, you know, did kind of trail off toward the end of the year. But, you know, I think thanks to these new hires, you know, there's also still a lot to be excited about. And, you know, I really liked Matt Limegrover as a person. Um, you know, I thought this year was not bad for him, but, you know, Penn State did tell us before that, you know, they brought more NFL coaches and, and personnel to help them learn, you know, a few more techniques on the offensive line. So, you know, maybe this was a long time coming, maybe it wasn't, but regardless, you know, Penn State's moving forward with what I think, um, you know, is another excellent hire. Yeah, I, I, I think there's, you know, uh, it's easy to say that that this hire needed to be made, but I also think Lime Grover did a good job while he was at Penn State. You know, he didn't always have a full cupboard to, to work with, and and there was, uh, you know, he didn't always have a great offensive coordinator to work under, and that's specifically this past season. Uh, you know, I've been a little bit more positive on Ricky Ronnie than you have, but even then, Lime Grover wasn't always, you know, dealing with the best uh, play calling to make his offensive line look good. Uh, but I, I think Troutwine is is an excellent hire, and I think it's a clear improvement over Lime Grover with that said. Uh, Troutwine learned under Steve Adazio, of course, who's a, you know, a, a renowned offensive line coach. He's now the head coach at Colorado State. I believe he was an offensive line coach and offensive coordinator under Urban Meyer when he was at Florida. And Troutwine was an offensive tackle at Florida, won two national championships there on the two Tim Tebow teams. 
uh, and and really has a track record of, of getting his guys to play at the highest level. He had all five of his starting offensive linemen get all ACC honors this past season. Uh, one made first team, two made second team, one made third, and one received honorable mention. It's pretty impressive, especially for a Boston College team that's head coach was fired. You know, they they made the decision to move on from Adazio. Uh, so I, I agree with you 100%. I think this is an excellent decision uh, to, to hire Troutwine. Uh, he's a younger guy, too, which will help. Like I said, he played on those 2006 and 2008 national championship teams at Florida. Uh, and there's only really room to grow from here for him. And, you know, he may not be at Penn State long if he's good enough, but um, I, I get the feeling that his tenure at Penn State will be a successful one. Yeah, agreed, John Saber. I've got nothing to add on that. You've summed it up perfectly. <laughs> but yeah, outside of, you know, we, we've covered all of these, these coaching changes, well, the two coaching changes. Uh, you know, we covered the guys that are leaving, which really it's just KJ Hamler and Utor Grossmontos at this point. Of course, we knew about Grossmontos about two months ago. Uh, you know, we've got another coaching change that's impending. We're waiting for a hire there. I'm sure we'll be discussing that once it's made. Uh, as I recklessly speculate about a whole one name for that hire. Uh, I'd like to recklessly speculate why it's taking Penn State so long to release James Franklin's contract. Yeah, What's going is, on, Penn State? It would be nice to have that information. Uh, I, I, you know, I would like to suss through the details and see what's going on there. Of course, once we get those details, we will discuss those as well on here. We will have stories, as always, at centerdaily.com. Uh, but that'll do it for this week's episode of Airing Out. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and to tune in. As I said, if you want to read Josh and I's writing, you can subscribe to a sports pass from the Center Daily Times at centerdaily.com backslash sports podcast. That's center spelled C-E-N-T-R-E. You can follow us on Twitter at, at by Josh Moyer and at John Sauber. Thanks for tuning in and have a great day.